Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the five moments of need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology. Greetings, Bob Mosier here. I am one of your co-hosts for the Performance Matters podcast series. So wonderful to have you here again. As always, we hope you give us some feedback on how you feel these are going for you, if they're helpful and effective. We would love to hear topics, ideas, and concerns, or anything else that you might want to hear. Let's talk about relative to five moments in need or workflow learning. Um, and so appreciate you taking the time. Today, I'm going to run at something that's been kind of an institution in our uh, industry for quite a long time. It's the whole idea of addy and design and enable. You may have heard us use that word before. And basically designing effectively for five moments in the workflow. We get all the time this question about, is this addy or is it not? And what I want to run at today in my learnings over the last 15 plus years of doing this and under the great work of people like Dr. Con Gopferson, Sue Reber, Carol Stroud and others that you've met through these podcasts, including some of our uh, wonderful organizations that are making an attempt at doing this, is that this is kind of a couple fold issue, friends. Um, one of it is, yes, it's not Eddie. Let's <laughs> kind of start there. There is another approach to this. Dr. Gopherson came up with it over his 50 years of work because we as designers, we as L&D professionals need ways to do this in a scalable and replicable way. And, and so, no, this is not Eddie. Are parts of it similar? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the power, I think, of ultimately being able to do this someday, as I have learned in others, is that there's a lot of reuse here, frankly. There's a lot of things that we did through what Addy brought to us uh, in, in the early days of its design and development. But at the same time, like any like evolving any methodology, there are things that are different. And that's where I want to run at today. So part of it is the methodology, right? Part of it is the actual logistics of doing the design work. But friends, there's another part I want to hopefully address today in this podcast. And that is that another part of it is also attitudinal. Another part of it is really how do we look at the way we do things? How do we look at the steps of the process? which is very different, frankly, in many ways. And therefore, going through the motions of doing this creates a different outcome in the way we approach it and think about it. You've heard us talk about this shift from a training first mindset to one of performance first. And that helps you begin the journey, frankly, away from Addy and more towards what we call, because we have to have something to call it, enable, E-N-A-B-L-E, is the methodology that we teach and use in doing this repeatedly. And again, it's not just the rigor of following the steps. We've had folks who've gone through our certificate course who've tried to learn this that still don't, quote unquote, get it. Because although they're operationally doing things differently, they have not attitudinally changed their view of what this approach really is. And the first thing we have to focus in on and want to understand is what is the work? What is the performance? Right. What is the what are the performance issues and problems? What is the performance outcome that we hope when this solution is built, we get? And notice I use the word solution because another fundamental part of this model is that I don't know what we're building yet. I know the elements. I know I know it's probably going to involve some degree of what we call targeted training, which I'll talk about in just a bit. And we've talked about this in past podcasts. It's also going to involve some kind of digital coach which again, we've talked about in past podcasts and gone into more detail. Today, I want to I talk about it more holistically and from a design lens. 
But the reality is when we go into the analysis, we don't know. And I can't tell you, friends, how many times when I went into Addy, it was all about the deliverable and it was about training. Right. People walked into our office and said, I used this quote before, I would like five days of training on leadership. Or I want three e-learning modules on a CRM we just bought. I want to retrain our customer service folks on a new ERP system that we've bought that's going to guide them through being better customer support reps, right? That is a training first mentality. And in the Addy days, when we sat down and the SMEs were in front of us, we'll talk more about them in a minute. We already had, we were locked and loaded for training. Use words like outline and course or e-learning or right before we've ever, before we even asked a question. And the SMEs arrived thinking that was why they were there, to help us build a course. That is not the case when you shift to performance first. You're there to understand and analyze the workflow. You're there to understand the work that is done, the critical impact of failure on performance when not done correctly, the supporting knowledge people need to know, the resources that exist around the organization to help them and support them in that journey or don't exist. All of this analysis pivoting on performance and performance outcomes has to happen first before you put pen to paper, if I may, to speak to some of your older folks out there that remember what that is, to make anything, anything, be it targeted training or a digital coach. So that's what this podcast is going to be about. So what are the what are the fundamental differences in that approach attitudinally and operationally that shift us from designers of a training deliverable whatever that is, whatever modality it takes, however it's blended, talk about that in a little bit, to one of performance first and the tools of the trade that enable that. Enable, there's the word, right? So guys, let's start Let's start with this first thing. You know, we used to get SMEs in a room. Let's talk, talk about the world that we know. We got SMEs in a room to make this, help us make this training thing, right? And I used to actually use these words that I wanted them to help me understand all that needed to be known and done to help other people be like them. Many would argue that fundamentally we're off to the races in the wrong direction by who we have in the room. SMEs are a spectacular resource in this journey, but they are only one and one we overly rely on and in many ways incorrectly rely on because friends, an SME is not our audience. An SME has arrived. They're already a subject matter expert. They don't need half of what we're going to build unless it's a part of solve or change in the five moments that we all know so well. But they already are in the world of apply. They're experts, right? So so they struggle with the lens of the learner, the lens of the performer that we're trying to make it deliverable for. So principle number one, we have to get out of the SME alone mindset. They are in the room. We'll talk more about some other resources, but they are not enough anymore. And they taint the deliverable, not on purpose, but because of the lens in which they look at the work. They have arrived and in many cases have forgotten what what it took to become the SME that they are. And that's the part that we need to support and and maybe train on. And And they don't have that lens any longer. So, SME, principal number. Number two is this know and do thing. And it was always in that order. SMEs would say in the room, my gosh, there's so much they need to know about this. I was talking to an organization once that had these things they called knowledge courses. 
knowledge courses that they taught ahead of letting anyone touch or do anything. And, and when I talked to them through this, through this thinking, they said, well, my gosh, what we do is so important. There's the word, right? It's so important that, that there's so much they have to fun, fundamentally know before we can ever let them do anything. So this know and do cadence emerged somewhere in the journey. And the irony, friends, is doing without knowing doesn't work. But we can't, let's see if I can say this right, we can't, we don't know what we need to know until we know the workflow and the doing that happens based on the person we're trying to support in the flow of work. If we don't have that context, friends, then everything's on the table. Everything should be known, and we automatically overwhelm the system before we even start it. Khan talks about this a lot, and I so love this perspective. The workflow gives context to what needs to be known and the importance of what needs to be known, the criticality of what needs to be known. Without the context of doing, without the context of a task to hang a concept on, to hang a supporting knowledge on, it has no context and therefore it never sticks. And those we support never learn it. But I can't tell you how many times, you know, in this lesson you will learn <laughs> and the first four bullets are understanding stuff. That's not the way it works, friends. Here's a fundamental principle number two. We have to shift to a do and know order. When we sit down with these resources that are going to help us architect the solution, we have to start with the doing. We have to start with the workflow. And then, and only then, do we talk about the things that need to be known to support that doing. It sounds like semantics, but it's such a huge deal. For so long in our business, we have flipped these and we build these behemoth courses that have thousands of PowerPoint slides that we force down our learners' throats before they ever get to the steps and the tasks and the doing. And we wonder why they're overwhelmed and we wonder why it all bleeds together because it lacks context. So it is all about the workflow. I remember watching my first what we call rapid workflow analysis, which is the first step of this model of enable. Well, that's not the first step. The first step, of course, is understanding the business, right? And what are we doing? What will good look like from a performance perspective? What are we trying to analyze, you know, to design? What are we trying to enable, right, aligned to the business? But when we get into the design part and start building this thing, we can't build for the five moments. We can't build for workflow learning. We do not know what needs to be trained, if at all, until we understand the work, the workflow. And I, I love when Khan talks about this and his analysis, friends, over his decades of being of work in this area, decades, he's probably one of the most well-versed people in the world on this. What became painfully clear to him is that the single most important unit of performance is a task, a task. Tasks make up processes, processes make up workflows. And until we understand performance at the task level, what do people do, we can't then wrap around it what they need to know. And, and it, sound, it sounds bizarre, but the first time I sat in the back of a room and watched a rapid workflow analysis being done, my jaw dropped, friends, because I was like, I never had this conversation with my SMEs when I did my Addy stuff. 
We got right down to it. You guys are SMEs. You tell me what people need to know and do. But here I said that. You tell me what people need to know and do. And my gosh, friends, it was an onslaught of knowing. They have to know. They have to know. This is important. This is. Does this sound familiar to you at all? And, and before we know it, we're filling whiteboards with stuff that is all important that ultimately we feel will help people do what? Everything? Leadership. Everything a leader needs to know for a brand new supervisor training course? It's not appropriate. Ultimately, we'd love them to be seasoned, remarkable leaders. I get that. But that's not the goal of the first day. Probably not the goal of the first year, <laughs> right? But we don't know the context of a first 30, 60, 90 day leader. What is the workflow? What is the expectation? What's the performance? What do they do in, in the beginning of leading? And then building on that, we put everything, the, the six pillars of leadership, the nine competencies of being an effective leader. Yeah, sure, someday. But what is the journey? What is the workflow in getting there? So friends, principle number three, it is all about understanding the workflow and what a task is. You focus on tasks, you put them together into processes, processes together into workflow maps, right? And then we start saying, look, now that we have made the work transparent, now that we have made the work apparent, we know what people do. What do they need to know to do that? It changes everything and it focuses the discussion. And, and we only get to what is needed to perform at that point. Not someday, not five years from now, because now it has context of the scope of the work being done. So, guys, this is the new blend. This is the new blend. We've talked about blended training in our industry forever, not blended learning. I'm, I'm, I'm very careful uh, with this, and, and, and we've had a, a bunch of discussions around this. We've never made blended learning, in my, my opinion, in our industry. We've made blended training. We take training assets and we mix them up in a really well-orchestrated economic model that, if nothing else, minimizes training time, minimizes classroom time. And, and by the way, that's spectacular. But let's not fool ourselves to thinking that it's blended learning. Blended learning to a learner, to a performer in the workflow, meets all five moments of need. It meets new and more. It blends that, sure. But it also blends the moments of applied change and solve and enables me and provides for me tools and strategies in the workflow. Like we've, like we've provided tools and strategies in new and more. Blended learning encapsulates it all. And when you're trying to blend across a five moments of need solution, across workflow learning, which is part of that, by the way, once you understand the workflow, right? Principle three, once you understand the workflow, once you understand what the tasks are, the processes are, and then the supporting knowledge to do, to know that, to know to do that, right? Then a very important decision has to be made. How are we going to blend this so that a, a performer ultimately performs? What is the balance? What is the blend of training to workflow digital coach enablement? 
this isn't a decision of what's important. And that's probably one of the most misunderstandings of this part of the of the methodology is that is that SMEs start thinking or people in your process with you, lines of business folks start thinking, wait, 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 you're skipping. Are you saying you're going to skip stuff? We never skip anything in a five moments to need solution. A digital coach doesn't skip anything. A digital coach supports everything. We're not discussing that anymore. When we did rapid workflow analysis and identified the tasks, the supporting knowledge and the processes and stuff, we identified everything. And we're going to support that entire workflow with the right knowledge, tasks, and resources. But what we're not going to do is train everything. This is an issue of designing a deliverable, not skipping stuff and not supporting certain things. We're supporting everything that we identified in the workflow analysis. What we're deciding now is what is so critical in its outcome that we need to train it because it warrants that. Think of, I'm going to say that again. This isn't about skipping stuff or cutting training in half for the sake of training, cutting training time. No, this, this is about deciding in the five moments journey that performers have to go through, what things do we have to take the valuable time of people away from work? Time away from work is an amazingly expensive thing and has a huge impact on every organization that we support. Time away from work. We have to be awful careful when we say we're going to take leaders out of the workflow and teach them something about leadership. We're going to pull customer support people off the line and train them on something about an ERP system or what customer support means. Salespeople, folks, anyone, people in a manufacturing plant. When, when we say we're going to stop work to learn, we have to be awful prudent and intentional about what we do with that time. And for way too long, and this has crushed us, friends, this has crushed us in our industry for decades, is that the business looks at us and says, look, you guys are expensive and you get my people for a long time. You teach them, I think, way too much stuff than they can handle. And when they come back, there's lost productivity. People forget stuff. And what was that whole exercise about outside of it being very expensive because people weren't working when they were with you? So this thing of what's called critical skills or critical impact of failure, CIF rating. Right. So, so here's what I'm talking about, friends. When when we look at the workflow, we've understood the supporting resources and and supporting knowledge and such. We now decide on how much of the workflow needs to be trained and how do you justify that? And we use a, an impact rubric. We basically say it's not about importance. It's all important. It's about failure. And if the failure is too critical, we should train people so they don't hurt themselves. They don't hurt others. They don't they don't hurt their self-efficacy. They don't we don't lose customers. We don't get sued. People don't die. These are levels of criticality. And if outcome warrants a high level of criticality, we have to train it to some degree because we can't learn that on their own because failure, which will occur, is too critical and the outcomes are too devastating or hurtful. That's the pivot. Not importance. It's all important. But there are a lot of things that are important that I can learn on my own, not hurt anyone. And in the end, with a good digital coach, emerge better than if I'd been taught it. I've seen this a thousand times over. Training is not the end all. I think the elephant in the room for years has been that we all know this, frankly, many times we overteach and train too much. And in some ways, if I may, that's hurtful. Because our learners leave overwhelmed. I just talked to a colleague just moments ago before I started this podcast who went through some onboarding training and, and his words were, wow, wow. 
it was a fire hose. He used those words. This is this is an L&D professional, by the way. He, the words he used was it was a fire hose of information. That's irresponsible. It's irresponsible. And we've been doing it forever. And it hurts us. It hurts the it hurts the people we support and it hurts our industry and our credibility, frankly, with the business. So critical impact of failure says, look, if it's and we use a one to seven rubric to give it some some gray. And if it's a four or higher, we teach it because the impact of a five, six or seven is has too high a consequence on performance, the person, the outcome, others, blah, blah, blah. Right. That validates training and only that. Now, there's some other things that can come into play, complexity and some other things and dependencies, but it's way less than you think. In our work, on average, half, half or more of what was taught in a class we're asked to look at through this lens shouldn't have been taught, does not need to be taught, half or more. Think about the economic impact of that on taking people out of the work to learn. Just do the math. The savings, we do some cost justification work with folks we work with. We have calculators and all kinds of things. It's in the millions. Listen to me, it is in the millions of waste and or savings. If if you look at the design through this lens, millions. <laughs> That's a lot of money. That's a lot of ROI. It's, it's a form of ROI. ROI in the end should be about performance, period. But there's ROI in this as well in, as far as just time savings, efficiencies, people not stopping work to learn. These are, there's economic impact of that. That's not necessarily direct, directly tied to performance, but it's part of the calculation. So a couple of things that come into mind. So, so now we've got a different blend of what we put into the digital coach, the thing that lives in the workflow and supports them at the point of need, the point of performance. And we've got what we're going to take time and, and validate time to train, targeted training. So a whole host of things are bows around this and then I'll wrap up for today. And we can go deeper into other parts if you find it valuable or would like to know more. But content management, governance, maintenance, these things become critical in what wraps around this design and definitely more downstream because unlike training, frankly, in many ways, it's not a one hit wonder. We don't design to a point in time. We design for a continuum of learning. So we have to, in maintaining our digital coaches, we have to keep them current. We have to understand the content management strategy around that. We have to have governance and ownership and processes and dependencies in keeping that content current. And, and it no longer only resides in our domain. In fact, most of it doesn't. It resides in the domain of those who, who have the knowledge in the workflow. And that's often not an L&D professional. So it pivots friends on as opposed to, let's go back to how we started. I'd like five days of training on. No, it pivots on the, on the thing like, I'd like my managers to manage better each day in the field. That's what I want. You've taught me or, we, or we've taught them to think that five days of training gets that. But that's not what they want. And that's not what the discussion should be about. And in the days of Addy, that's not what we talked about. We said, sure, I can build five days of training. I need some people in a room to help me do that. And then off we went. The die was cast. The train left the station, as Dr. Gofferson likes to say. But the conversation has to change to one of it's designing from I'd like to help my managers manage better. Let's understand the workflow of that, the criticality of those tasks, not five days of e-learning or five days of anything. That That's downstream. That's an outcome of the analysis, not what we are starting to analyze for from the beginning. Do you hear the difference in emphasis here? 
that's where I'm going with the attitudinal side of the, the shift here, not just the operational side of shifting away from Addy to something like Enable. It, it takes a combination of both. The deliverable friends is a digital coach and targeted training, typically in that order. Now, in the next podcast and another podcast shortly, we're going to talk about how it can start, though, in the domain we all know of, which is training. Before you even get into digital coaches, if you're uncomfortable with that, you can do a lot in a performance shift in how you then look at the way your classes are set up, even today. And that will help guide you to this world of this new blend. It has a profound impact on the classroom. And for many of you, you may want to start there. A classroom can be made much more performance focused. In fact, there's already a podcast on this series by Sue Reber that was just done around the tactical side of design. And she shares what she calls the ADAPT, A-D-A-P-T, ADAPT approach. And that's very classroom centric, a world that I know many of you are very comfortable with now. And if that's the first step in the journey, begin there. And that will bring you along in all these other places. So friends, I hope that was helpful. Attitudinal training to performance, operational, adding to enable. It takes both to ultimately build for performance first. Friends, I hope it was helpful. Great to have you on this again. Please give us feedback on how we're doing, ideas, what you think of this, share it with colleagues. Let's elevate the conversation. So much is at stake in doing this correctly. And we're all in this together, friends. Be well, be safe. Talk soon. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.